wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night. This is Extra Time on SENZ. It is 8 o'clock. Welcome into SENZ. Text number here is 8833. Um, we're going to do something this hour which I think is worth doing. We're going to pay tribute and homage to John O'Riddler, who yesterday morning at 10 o'clock embarked on a journey of swimming from Great Barrier Island in the Hauraki Gulf to Campbell's Bay on Auckland's North Shore, a distance of 100 kilometres swimming 100 kilometres in basically a pair of speedos in cold water no outside assistance whatsoever other than support vessels a total swim time of almost 35 hours trying to put that in context for people simply remarkable you imagine where you were yesterday at 10 o'clock in the morning the day that you had then in front of you when you came home having dinner settling down watching television going to bed waking up having breakfast having a coffee working a full day and literally about 10 minutes ago finishing the swim how do you do that you got the salt water giving you mouth ulcers ripping your body to pieces. You're basically having to stop every 30 to 45 minutes and have people throw you food to keep the nutrition and keep your hydration up. Water's about 18 degrees. You've trained so hard you've got no body fat. You've had to learn to take ice baths to acclimatise to the cold. It's a deep, dark stretch of water. There is a lot of sea life. There are a lot of sharks. There are jellyfish. But he's done it. First New Zealander in history to swim 100 kilometres. One of the few people in the world to do it. And this is not a swim where you just sit in the currents and get towed along like some endurance swims. In fact, the weather conditions out in the Hauraki Gulf in the last six or seven hours have been nothing short of brutal. We're going to catch up with Jono Riddler's father, Gordon Riddler, very shortly. He's at Campbell's Bay. There's a fair bit of media interest in this. And then we're going to catch up with one of the great open water swimmers in the history of this country, Philip Rush. Philip still holds the record for the triple crossing of the English Channel. I'm going to try and get Philip to put in context what John O'Riddler has just achieved. You want the definition of hard? This dude is it. This might just be single toughest sporting challenge ever done in this country. But I'm sure that some ridiculous super rugby story will still take the headlines tomorrow. 
some rugby league story or some cricketer wanting more money. Not on this show, not with me. I get fed up about rugby players needing to rest and rotate and I'm tired while they're getting paid a million dollars a year. Rugby league players who can't make tackles turn up to pre-season overweight. Getting treated like superstars in this country and then you get a guy like this who swims 100 kilometres, done it off his own back. The training involved alone is incredibly lonely and he's trying to raise money and draw attention to Live Ocean which is this charity that's been set up by Peter Burling and Blair Tuke of America's Cup fame to try and bring greater awareness and attention to the plight of our oceans, trying to raise money. Jono Riddler deserves a lot of media coverage. Jono Riddler almost deserves national hero status for what he has just achieved, but he won't get it. Because the same media who cry for equity only actually practice that if it's rugby, if it's cricket, if it's league. I'm hoping that tomorrow that changes and he gets the recognition that he does deserve. I've done some pretty crazy things in my day. I spent a long time as a full-time endurance athlete. I remember doing 65-hour training weeks. I remember running... 300, 200 miles in a week of quality running over a seven day period and how hard that was on the body. I have aspirations of at some point trying to swim the Cook Strait, which is 23 to 26 kilometres depending on currents. I've gone through that scenario in my head of the training that's required, but nothing, nothing compares to what John O'Riddler's just done. Unbelievable. How do you continually swim for 33 hours in the ocean, in cold water, and cover 100 kilometres? We're going to catch up with his father, Gordon, very shortly. Might be lucky enough to grab a word from Jono, but I'd imagine that I understand that the fatigue levels were so great towards the end that he was in a dark, dark place, what I call a hurt box, both mentally and physically, absolutely exhausted. You know, bonfires in the arms, bonfires in the legs, breathing razor blades, all of those analogies that I love to do. What do you think about when you swim for 100 kilometres? It's not like running where you've got changing landscape. You've got something visually to stimulate you. You're looking at your hands into the water. You're swimming through the night. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, there are a lot of Marco sharks out here. There are a lot of white pointers. There's a lot of jellyfish. And I am very, very vulnerable. Then you've got the hypothermia you have to worry about. I understand he had all sorts of stomach problems out there. The ulcers from the salt water. I hope every damn rugby player in this country is aware of this guy. I hope his story is told. So our sports teams that get all the media coverage, they get all the money, can just shut up about how hard they do it and just start getting out there and doing it for the fans and basically harden up. Because if you want tough, 
Jono Riddler might just be the mentally toughest man currently in New Zealand, if not one of the most mentally toughest people on the planet. And he's one of ours, and we should celebrate him. We're going to celebrate him. We're going to do it this hour. Eight minutes after eight, when we come back, we'll catch up with his dad, Gordon Riddler. Well, John O'Riddler has finished a gruelling 33 hours in the water, a record-breaking 100-kilometre swim unassisted from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore. You would have heard me prior to the break just trying to put this in context for you. This is simply unbelievable. This is very much in the ilk of the great explorers, the likes of the Hillarys. What drives those guys to conquer some of the things that people just believe are impossible to do? Hopefully tomorrow he is celebrated across the country for this achievement. One man who is incredibly proud is his father, uh, Gordon Riddler. Gordon now joins us. Evening to you, Gordon. Congratulations. Well, not to me, Mark, but yes, good evening to you. Now, where are you at the moment, Gordon? Well, we're at Campbell's Bay, and there's, um, Jono finished earlier than was expected because the conditions got appalling and he was... Um, getting a bit um, disoriented. Um, so he's there's a crowd here that made it here regardless of the fact it wasn't narrow neck. And Jono's in the ambulance, which is nothing to be alarmed about. It was always expected he'd be in an ambulance, getting just making sure everything's all good. Did he get to his feet when he did hit terra firma, or did he need to be carried out of the water? I mean, all the blood tends to be in the upper extremities, and suddenly you've got to stand up, and you know it can be a little bit um, haphazard. It can almost be a little bit dangerous. Because of the short notice of the change in destination, I didn't get here till after he had arrived. He, um, he, in speaking in, in, inside the ambulance, he's really comfortable. He said he's not the least bit tired. Um, they were just concerned that he was getting um, disoriented in the water. It's it's an unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, you were at Great Barrier Island yesterday, 10 o'clock in the morning. I was trying to put this in context. You know, 10 o'clock yesterday morning, we all had a full day at work. I went home, uh, you know, had dinner, watched some TV, went to bed, woke up. I've pretty much gone through a repeat all day today. And that guy's been swimming the whole time in some pretty cold water or in some pretty deep, dark water, unassisted. Uh, try and sort of put this in context. It's, it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? And for him to say to me that he's not actually really feeling tired, it, um, you know, it's it's remarkable. He's actually, re- you know, very comfortable in the in, sitting there. All his, you know, he's got a hundred percent oxygen saturation. His pulse is good. His temperature is good. He's all fine, and you know, it's just remarkable, isn't it? You said that he was a little bit disorientated towards the end. Um, was that simply because of the darkness, um, or was that just the fact that at that point, while he's physically okay, just you know mentally the mind starts to play a few tricks? I, I think the latter had just the mind was playing tricks. So he's physically fine. It's really rough and stormy. You know, it would have been it's a fair bit of surf to come in through to, to get to the beach. Um, so I'm, I don't know yet how the call was made about him finishing. Um, whether um, the, the crew and the medics decided or whether he decided. Yeah, Gordon, um, unofficially, I mean, they've got it at 99 point something, but we're told that he has, in fact, swum the 100 kilometres. Uh, can you confirm and verify that? Um, I, I think that not officially because for all the little deviations he does while he's swimming, the tracker will say he's done 100k. But when they evaluate it according to the rules of marathon swimming, they take out those little um, 
all the little zigzags, and therefore he'd, it'll end up less than 100. But still a remarkable achievement. I mean, you know, this is the longest, I think, was about 82, co- 82 kilometres, I think, the double crossing of Lake Taupo, and that record has stood for eternity. So he now holds this on his own. Yes, he does. I think it's 80.4, Dr. Correct you, but the, the Taupo double crossing... So John had previously done a swim of 46k from Amatapuri to the Poor Knights and back. So he's done double what he's ever done before. Yeah, how much time and preparation was put into this, um, Gordon, in terms of being able to actually achieve this? Because you know, it's, it's people forget actually this is not just about the last 30 odd hours. You know, like any sport, you've got to show your body and training what happens on race day. You've got to build up a resilience. You've got to build up a level of endurance. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, you know, if the thought of having to swim 18 hours in training, let alone 10 hours a day in training. I mean, give us some sort of uh, insight into what's actually been required in terms of being able to get himself in this sort of level of physical and mental shape. Well, I think he's got some really good sort of physical attributes to build from. And then he started marathon swimming with Cook Strait in 2019. So, and then he continued from that to uh, with um, Taupo and Fovo. So he's, he's better than all those big swims and then the one he did out to Four Nights and back. So there's all that swimming background. And then he's built for the last six months, been, he's trained for this. The reason it's later in the year than is ideal because of weather conditions is because he got a, a shoulder, a little bursa in his shoulder and had to stop training for six weeks. And then he's built again. So he's done things like um, train through the night or, and you know, three days in a row, done eight hours of swimming on top of you know, just a normal routine. So um, I'm not sure what the, the longest swim he did during training was. I don't, I'm not, not aware of that. Now he's had plenty of support too from two very well New Zealanders who have a foundation or have a charity set up called Live Ocean and those founders are Peter Burling and Blair Tuke of America's Cup fame and you know part of um, Jono's um, goal here was to draw awareness to the current state of our oceans and particularly the Hauraki Gulf. I think that became a really big motivation for him and they're a great group of people and they've been fabulous supporters of him and organising and you know, running this this swim. It's not a small thing when you've got, you know, the whole organisation is way more than anyone would believe. And yes, it's, um, John has been very inspired with that cause, and um, and rightly so. In mm. regards to media, with the media there when he finished, I know that the, the initial line was Narrow Neck Beach, but again, due to weather conditions and uh, safety factors, uh, did mean that, you know, media probably, I'd imagine, we're on the go a little bit trying to get there to meet him. But, but has there been some media around him? I'd imagine there'll be media certainly around him tomorrow. There is media here. They weren't here at first because it sort of got the jump on everybody. The crowd was um, given... Oh, just a minute, I'll just turn this call off. Um, I was surprised how many people were here at the time, and the media um, came maybe 15 or 20 minutes later, but they really, there was, there was no, Jono wasn't showing himself. He was, um, he was in, look, being looked after in the ambulance, and they won't see him, so they were just photographing the event in the crowd. Mm, it'd be fascinating to have a chat to him, to sit down and just talk about the tough parts of it, and uh, i just dying to know the mindset, what he thought about for 30-odd hours. Yes, I know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, um, 
You know, he'd be quite coherent to talk to you now. He just wouldn't want to. No, I get that, I, and I wouldn't expect him to talk to us right now too. No, I, I imagine that's the last thing yeah. he probably wants to do, maybe in the days coming. Well, look, um, Gordon, thank you for joining us, and you must be incredibly proud, and you should be proud. It's a remarkable achievement, and I genuinely say this, to do what he's done, you've got to be very much in that same ilk as the likes of Edmund Hillary, the great explorers, because um, you know I, I've got a little bit of a background in it, and I can't even comprehend what he's just gone and had to endure, both physically and mentally. So well done to him, and well done to you and your family. Yes, thank you. I didn't do anything, but I'm very proud of um, of the man he's become and this achievement. Fantastic. There you go. That is Gordon Riddler, the father of John O. Riddler, who has just swum 100 kilometres from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore, started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, has been in the water for over 33 hours. Now, I'm going to try and put this in context for you. We're going to take a break. and When we come back, we're going to catch up with an icon, the original when it comes to open water swimmer, Philip Rush. Philip still holds the world record for the triple crossing of the English Channel. And if you want to swim the Cook Strait these days, you pretty much have to go through Philip Rush to do it. He was one of the great open water swimmers of the 1980s. So we'll talk to open water swimming legend Philip Rush next here on SENZ. We now are going to catch up and talk to an absolute icon of New Zealand sport, one of the most underrated athletes in this country, because we want to try and celebrate and put in context the achievements of John O'Riddler, who has just competed a 100-kilometre open water swim from Great Barrier Island to Auckland's North Shore. Started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning and finished around about half an hour ago. Uh, you have to do these open water swims unassisted, no wetsuits. Swam all the way through the night and clearly finished tonight. One man who knows all about it, who paved the way, who was the original pioneer, is Philip Rush. Now, Philip holds the world record for the three-way crossing of the English Channel, which he completed in 1987. He also was the first person to complete the double crossing of New Zealand's Lake Taupo, which he completed on the 14th and 15th of January back in 1985. He has swum the Cook Strait, the double, the triple, you name it, he's done it. Philip Rush, good evening, welcome. G'day Mark, how's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, look, just try and put in context for me this achievement of John O'Riddler. I mean, you've been in the water for 28 hours, he's just been out there for 33 hours. Um, I've got a little bit of background in endurance sport, but boy, I just can't comprehend uh, the mental fortitude that you yourself had and what this young man's got. I think what, what John O's done is outstanding um, tonight. Um, you know, he was going into the second night as well. Um, starting at night, you know, he he has shut his mind off to anything that has been going on around him. Um, and like any endurance event, you can only train so much and then you have to shut off. You've got to shut your mind off from giving you that pain all the time. And Jono would have been struggling. I know... I've been speaking with the boat uh, during the day and he had stomach problems, upset stomach, which he had to cope with. Um, and if you put it in context, like you've said, he swam through the night. Most of us will sleep. Then we've gone to work all day. We've had breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then he's continued on to try and get this finished. Um, so that is what it takes. 
Yeah, the Cook Strait. Now, the Cook Strait, I think, can be anywhere from, what, 23 to 26 kilometres. Am I correct there? What's the official distance of the Cook Strait? 26 kilometres in a straight line. 20. So we need to... Um, and, you know, you've got tide that moves you through that. You may well, I think, on average, we end up going about 27.4, I think, um, with the swimmers that go across. A bit like Lake Taupo, they end up going about 40.15, somewhere around about 40.2 kilometres. So, you know, we can't go in a straight line. I... Um, I've, um, I've we've looked at the track of, of how Jono's gone. The point to point was a hundred kilometres. We're just waiting for that to be verified, obviously. Um, but he's come ashore, unassisted, coming ashore after over thirty hours, and he will be feeling pretty proud of himself. But he will be absolutely buggered. He'll be on a high, but probably. Slightly dehydrated, and because he's had a crook stomach during the day, just the, from my understanding, the food that he was taking on board um, was not settling that well. But, you know, that is a long period of time for one, to stay awake, and two, to be swimming consistently. Yeah, the uh, the other thing too is like we've seen some swims where you can probably use the currents to your advantage, but when you're swimming for more than 24 hours, you clearly, yes, you're going to get some currents behind you, but you're going to be swimming into those currents too because that's just the nature, that's just high tide, low tide. That's just how things work. So um, I guess you've been there. I mean, how, how do you work yourself through the low points, Philip? How, what, what are some of the strategies that he's probably employed out there? Well, I, we were we were talking a couple of days beforehand, and I was trying to convince him that what happens at night, everybody in the boats that are around have to be calm. He has to stay calm. He can't be trying to run and swim from the water. He has to relax. He has to shut that mind down and just let the night flow through. It's very dark out there. There's nothing to look at. All you can see is some lights, possibly. Um, but... As I say, as you've said, at the end there, I know for a fact he had to be finished by 6 o'clock. He had to be had feet on the beach by 6 o'clock or the tide was going out and he would have been making no distance. That would have held him there for another four to five hours, barely moving, I would think, and hence why that was a 6 o'clock shut-off time. And I think it wasn't... It was soon after six that they actually got their feet on the beach. Yeah, Philip, I remember talking to you when you were in an interview previously, when talking about the triple crossing of the English Channel, and I know that there were points in that where you would be swimming and you'd see like a, a large um, sort of uh, marker in the water, and then not long later you'd see it again, realising that they'd actually taken you swimming you in circles because you're waiting for tides to change and stuff. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, how... How, how difficult are the tides? I know people have got very close to finishing the Cook Strait and haven't been able to finish because they just simply haven't been able to get through the currents. Correct. I mean, we've had people within 100 metres of finishing in Cook Strait and the tide has been so fierce that it's actually just pushed us out of Cook Strait and we've had to pull the swim. And that's heartbreaking for everybody. One, the swimmer, because they've given it all to get themselves to that position. Two, for us, that we, you know, we can't do any more than say, come on, come on, give, give them as much encouragement, as much support. But once, once that tide starts to flow, and as you're right, in the English Channel, 
um, when I um, we tried we, we were successful in the triple crossing. First lap was seven and a half hours roughly. The next lap was eight uh, eight hours, which gave us a double crossing, which was a really good time. But the third tide was twelve and a half hours to get across, and it becomes a team effort because the skippers need to be able to work those tides to get the best for you. In that case, in the English Channel, we swam round for two and a half hours round this big circle, basically, um, to let the tide go through. So you kept your body temperature up because you know you just couldn't sit there and sort of wait for the lights to change. Um, and then we were away. So and then the next lap after the third lap would have been back to an mm-hmm. eight to nine hour swim. But it's just the way you have to work the tides to give the best benefit. I think they've done a very, very good job. Um, Jono came off very well um, at the start. I believe the weather in Auckland this after or today has been marginal for swimming. They, uh, you know, There was a lot of seasickness out there with the crew as well, um, which has obviously upset Jono's stomach as well, but it was very nasty mm. conditions. And for him to carry on in those conditions, because those waves will be just like somebody with a hammer just belting you in the arm, saying, come on, come on. Your mind has to shut off because your mind will be wanting to give up. Your yeah. body's wanting to give up. Yeah. But if you're strong enough, you just have to shut off any negativity that's coming into that mind. Now, that is the hard thing. Any endurance athlete will will understand that what you think about, you're thinking about time, it'll just drag on. You have to shut anything off that is going into your head. Yeah, that's not easy to do, man. I mean, it's easy to do it for half an hour, it's easy to do it for an hour, but to be able to do that for 33 hours is remarkable. Uh, look, I was out open water swimming um, last Saturday, and uh, you know, it doesn't take much, does it, for a ripple to suddenly feel like you're swimming through the Himalayas, and when you're dying, lying dead flat on the water... Um, it can be very, very tough, and we know swimming is a taught sport, so it's based on, you know, it's based, it's governed by hydrodynamics, all about technique. But in those conditions, you've got to make adjustments technically too, and that's not an easy thing to do when you're fatigued. Not at all. I mean, he would be, he'd be feeling probably from the back of him. I believe the wind was behind him, but also that tide's pushing him. And if you look where um, Jono's course has gone. He's come off the rum line. What I mean by the rum line, the direct line. And the wind has pushed him and he's been tired and he hasn't been able to to swim fast enough to stay on that line. But he's been able to keep swimming and the water has pushed him. We, He's finished just off the finish point that he was expecting to finish at. But, you know, that has been a hell of an afternoon or a hell of a day for Jono in that Auckland Harbour. Talk to me about the discipline of nutrition, the discipline of actually being able to eat. Look, I've been in events and you, you understand that you've got to pretty much self-cater in a thing like an Ironman, but it's really easy to get caught up in the moment and not feel hungry and forget to drink and forget to eat and then suddenly before you know it, you've had a glycogen meltdown and you're sort of sitting in the gutter. Um, and it's it's easy to do it in training. It's not always easy to do it in race day. How important and how hard is that discipline of eating every 30 to 45 minutes or whatever his plan may have been? I, I would have... Um, we did discuss it, um, and what we're going with now is a lot of high-carbohydrate electrolyte mix, 
um, it sounds like a petrol that you buy at the petrol station, but there are so many things on the market now. You need to have the carbs in there because if you haven't got the carbs and you're depleting your carbs, the brain and the way you think about things just goes to mush. So he would have, um, Jono was on a high carbohydrate drink. Most of it is fluid with something like um, um, some gels as well, which is washed down with water. Um, on the hour, you have carbs. On the half hour, you have an electrolyte mix with some um, maybe a gel if he's lacking in energy. But it's like anything, we have to keep taking it on board, especially, especially on these long, long swims, because you will not get to the end. Your body will fail. It's like a car. We put good fuel in it, it goes fast. We put rubbish in it, it just peters out later on in the day. So um, I was talking to the crew. They did have a little bit of trouble with the product um, that he was taking to start with. His stomach has been upset all day, or definitely last night and a little bit of today. They were able to settle him down to keep taking on fluid. He has to keep the fluid on. The Auckland water temperatures are still relatively warm up there. Jono would have been sweating a lot. So we have to make sure the electrolytes are going in so he's not depleting that, but also the carbohydrate is there to keep the engine going. You're a hard man, Philip, because I went swimming on Saturday. There's nothing bloody warm about Auckland at the moment, mate. <laughs> probably, probably by all the ice bath standards he's been having, he probably does think it's warm. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Adapting to the cold and suddenly making the cold feel quite warm. And that's something people also underestimate. Hey, what are the official regulations here in terms of these distance swims? I've talked about it. You've got to be unassisted, uh, no wetsuits. Uh, what, what, what? Just give us a bit of an understanding of what the basic have, um, rules are. Uh, basic rules are a direct line. A direct line of sight would have been um, from the track line. You know, no, the, the distance is measured in a direct line. So any curves and things like that, it is point to point point. The actual distance isn't because that's a tidal distance. Um, he's allowed to wear a pair of budgie smugglers. You know, um, he may well have had a a, a jammers. Um, he's allowed one cap, he's allowed a pair of goggles, obviously, to um, keep the salt water out of his eyes. Um, they may well be tinted during the day, depending on how much sun you had in Auckland. My understanding was you're pretty well fogged in most of the morning. Um, and from there, um, there would have been some grease applied to his body to start with, to stop chafing, to keep the wind off his back, just a fine layer of grease. Um, he was pretty well cut down from the photos I've seen this morning. Um, but cold didn't get to him because um, he hopped out the water and at times they, they would have been making some of his foods warm as well just to keep him going to make it, you know, something warm in your stomach is very nice to have um, on these insurance events. We were talking about having just some small potatoes because you're taking on a lot of, a lot of fluid. You need to have some form of food there which will take that hollowness out of your stomach. Um, other things that we were talking about, you know, for males, it's very difficult to pee in the sea. You know, he had to be, that tells us that we're well hydrated, that mm. um, he's, he's, he's peeing a lot and we need that to be recorded. Otherwise, 
you end up with a really sore back and then eventually that just wears away at you no matter what it is the smallest thing if that gets stuck in your mind that will just wear away wear away and wear away um so generally i mean he's followed all the rules and regulations you're not allowed to touch the swimmer he would have had his bottle on a rope or been handed his bottle getting it down eliminate trying not to take on a lot of salt water which would have been very hard this afternoon with the with the conditions he had um, because then that just makes the back of your throat swell and in 30 hours of gargling salt water yet the glottis in the back of your throat will swell up and that is the most painful thing you can have. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, the salt water, because the salt water, I mean, it, we know how corrosive it is uh, at the best of times. Um, you know, I live out at Mirawai Beach and anything that's metal doesn't last too long. It just corrodes very, very quickly. So can you build up a resilience to the mouth ulcers, to the salt water in terms of the tolerance to the skin? Um, you know, cause, um, I mean, you're in the water for 33 hours, mate. At some point it must feel like you're almost swimming through sandpaper. Oh, under the arms, under the arms, and anywhere chafed. I mean, normally what you what you do, you can either grow whiskers and grow a beard, and that's soft on your skin, or you have to be completely cleanly shaven, finely. Um, cover that area in grease, but in 33 hours, he would have been growing some whiskers, and that is like just rubbing sandpaper on your shoulders and under your arms, and that would have been just eating away on it. At him as well. Yes, he can stop and put a handful of grease on to chafe, to stop the chafing again because it would have worn off over that period of time. The other thing that we have to be, and as I say, I don't believe it was that sunny in Auckland today. No, it wasn't. Um, no. But um, sunburn for that period of time is just ruthless. Ruthless. Mm. That with the salt water means you're come out like a shriveled up prune after 30 hours. My guest on the program is a legend of open water swimming, Philip Rush. We're just celebrating the achievements of John O'Riddler, who hours ago completed a swim from Great Barrier Island to North Shore, 99 to 100 kilometres, um, breaking the long-standing record that stood for 33 years, the double crossing of Lake Torpa, which was 80.8 kilometres. Um, he is on a high. I've spoken to his dad. He says he's in good spirits, Jono. But let's talk about the days coming now. I mean... You know, you, at some point this is going to catch up, isn't it? Your nervous system can come crashing down. So so what's best practice for him going forward over the next couple of days and just making sure that, you know, he, he does stay healthy and there are no long-term effects here? Um, well, I think um, back in my day we used to have, a, uh, we had a few points of tenants extra um, at the local in England. Um, but, you know, moving forward, he hopefully... My understanding is they've taken him to hospital. They will put some intravenous um, uh, fluid into him to get that. He will be dehydrated, I would think. Everything's going to scab over. All the all the um, all the chafing and everything like that that will hurt for the next few days. And in about three or four days, he is going to feel as if he has been hit by a bus when the mind starts relaxing and the body all of a sudden says, you know, that was pretty horrific what I've just put my body through and it will break down. It might not be the first week, it may be the second week and then concentrating on things, your mind becomes absolutely 
absolutely exhausted. And you might be sitting at the desk. I remember I was sitting somewhere and and um, um, after 28 hours, and, and next minute I'm sound asleep in the chair. This is the middle of the day. Um, because basically your body is exhausted because you have punished it mm. and punished it and punished it. Mm. Um. Philip, where to now? I mean, you swam 100 kilometres. What does he do now? I, I sense this, uh, you know, I mean, a, a, to a degree, it must be an addiction to an degree doing what he's doing. Uh, what's the next barrier? Where do you go to after having done this? Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good question, Mark. And I I think that's something that John, I don't think he's finished. It will depend on how much damage, because there was some problem with his shoulder prior to the swim. He has got problems again through today. Mm. Um, that may well be a technique thing that we have to work on to get that stroke right. Um, there may be quite a bit of recovery time for that shoulder um, to get it right. Um, he needs to have a break. Yeah, He's done bloody outstandingly there today, or yesterday and today. Um, but moving forward from there... Is it 150 kilometres? Is it point to point? Is it is it something really cold? I mean, the world's Jotto's oyster. He's proven to himself now that he can swim close to 100 k's, and you know that he can do it. If we'd had a nice day um, today, potentially he might have been an hour for, uh, finished an hour earlier. Mm. Um, but that wasn't nice at all in Auckland this afternoon, yeah. and that is putting yourself through something in places that you should not even be in the water. But he just kept chipping away at it, and that was our advice. Chip away each kilometre or another kilometre closer. I don't know where he goes from here. <laughs> no, no, I, I guess in time we'll find out. Hey, Philip, just before we do let you go, and it's been a wonderful insight, and I do appreciate your time tonight. I just want to have, the, I want to confirm this. I know the answer to this because I've interviewed you before, but... Your biggest regret about the triple crossing of the English Channel was that you didn't start the fourth crossing. Yeah, that's completely right. And I still, when I'm talking to kids these days, and I'm in the position my coach was when we sat on the beach in in France for that third time. He said, "I'll give you some time." Because you got you've got ten minutes un- you've got ten minutes unassisted, haven't you? If the English with the double crossings, Correct. and you didn't actually Correct. you didn't actually get out of the water for the until right at the end. Once you'd done three, and then you sat on the beach, and then you were given the opportunity. And yeah, I was. And uh, uh, he said, "We've got ten minutes. How far back can you go?" I said, "Well, I can go. I know I can go halfway back." He threw the towel over me. He said, "Well, it's better be to be known for the one that's done three good ones." instead of the one that um, went three and a half. Well, that prick, sorry, Tony, rest in peace up there. That guy should have grabbed me and thrown me back out there. And even if we'd only gone halfway, I would have gone halfway further than anybody else had ever done. But who knows what would have happened? Mm. You don't know until your body is completely shut down and you cannot swim another stroke. I was still swimming at three and a half k's an hour. So once we got to halfway, then it would be another kilometre after that and another kilometre after that. And it's about your mind shutting off and letting you do it. We didn't do that, Mark. So anyway, you know, the rest is history. 
Philip Rush, lovely to catch up, mate. Brilliant. And again, congratulations on your remarkable career. Without you, guys like John O'Riddler wouldn't be doing what they're doing. You're the pioneers. You're the guys that take out the guesswork and show it can be done. So thank you. All the best. You go 12 minutes away from nine. Um, the great Philip Rush talking about this achievement of John O'Riddler, who has just on his own swum 100 kilometres in the deep, dark, open water throughout the night over a distance of 33 hours. I encourage you to go to your local swimming pool. I encourage you to get in and swim two lengths and then three lengths. Look at the time it's taking you to swim three lengths and then try and put that in context of 33 hours. <laughs> It's unbelievable. It is 11 and a half minutes away from 9 o'clock. After 9 o'clock, we'll open the lines. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Send us some texts. Um, you can text us here on double eight double three. You're listening to SENZ. It is seven minutes away from 9 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. After 9 o'clock, we'll open up the lines. Um, opportunity to have your say on a few sporting uh, uh, moments. Keen to get your thoughts on great performances of human endeavour. Uh, you can go back, I guess, to... Roger Bannister, nobody thought you'd break four minutes for the mile and Roger Bannister does it back there in 1953 and John Landy of Australia not long after and suddenly the floodgates open. Somebody Sometimes it just takes one person to show it can be done and then you see everyone start to do it. And there used to be a time when swimming the Cook Strait was the ultimate. Um, you've only got to go back to... Yeah, the 1970s, the 1960s, when that was first being done. Now you've got John O'Riddler swimming 100 kilometres. In the 80s, you had Philip Rush swimming triple crossing of the English Channel. When does 100k become the norm? Does it ever become the norm in swimming? Is 25k now the norm? used to be a time in running when you'd run a marathon. Now people are doing 100K, 100-mile events, and they've become big business, and they've become big around the world. Endurance events at the highest level. Swimming is just different, though. There are consequences if things go wrong. There's no visual stimulation. There's much greater risk safety-wise. So what have been the great feats of human endeavour in a sporting sense over the last hundred years. Quite keen to get your thoughts. You can text us here on double eight double three. Uh, any other sort of sporting matter that you do wish to discuss, we'll also uh, bring you a little bit of English Premier League audio uh, because this morning Arsenal uh, got up over Chelsea by three goals to one, go back to the top of the English Premier League. Mind you, Manchester City still have two games in hand. And also tomorrow, Liverpool take on Fulham. They're trying to climb their way into the top four. I'm not sure they'll do it. I think Manchester United will hang on. So we'll talk some English Premier League football as well. But if you have just joined us, Jono Riddlett has just completed a swim here, 100 kilometre solo swim, 33 hours in the water from Great Barrier Island in the Hauraki Gulf to Auckland's North Shore. A big, big stretch of ocean. Started yesterday at 10 o'clock in the morning, swam through the night and then swam into the night. Unbelievable. Hopefully he gets the headlines, hopefully he gets the news coverage. Hopefully it's not rugby leading the sports news tomorrow night or rugby league. Enough is enough. You've got a media who talk about equity. Well, stay true to yourselves and show this guy some equity. He deserves it. Telephone lines are open. 0800 150 is the number. Um, I'm not sure if you've been listening or if you've just joined us, but I'd love to get you on the phone too. 
uh, celebrate the achievements of John O'Riddler, a young man in his 30s who has just swum from Great Barrier Island in the Hauraki Gulf to Auckland's North Shore, a total distance of 100 kilometres. He started at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, just before 10. So you just finished your coffee, you'd got into work, or you'd got into work and deciding that you might have some morning tea. He starts swimming. You work through the entire day, you get home at 7, he's still swimming. You have some dinner, you put your kids to bed, you watch some TV, he's still swimming. You go to bed, turn the light off, you sleep nicely for six, seven, eight hours. You get up in the morning, he's still swimming. You have breakfast, you hop in your car, you go to work, you go back and have morning tea again. He's still swimming. You have a full day at work and you go home and around about dinner time, he eventually stops swimming. Unbelievable. I cannot tell you just how tough that is, both mentally and physically. From a mental point of view, the guy is a freak of nature. Now, admittedly, it's not something you just wake up and do. It's a natural progression over a long period of time, like any of these great feats of human endeavour. Hopefully, he gets the media coverage that he deserves. Hopefully, we can just put rugby league and stuff to one side tomorrow. Let's be interested. There's, there's not the interest in rugby that there once was, yet the media still continue to shove it down our throats. He deserves the headlines. You know, we've had the media in this political environment constantly going about equity, constantly going on talking about equity. Now, normally equity is meant giving women's sport more coverage. Equity to me is giving all sport more coverage or making sure that other sports get coverage as well. And if they're true about equity, he should be given the headlines tomorrow, not just in the sports sections, but in the mainstream newspapers. One of the great achievements of human endeavour by a New Zealander in this country. Former record was 33 years ago was the double crossing of Lake Taupo, 80.8 kilometres. I'll argue though, Taupo, if you get the conditions right, you're going to get glass-like conditions. You don't get the salt that you have to worry about. Admittedly, Fresh water is not as buoyant as salt water, so you don't tend to sit as high in the water, so it has its challenges in its own right. What do you do for 33 hours of swimming? How do you switch off? How do you get into a trance-like trance-like state? Imagine starting during the day and you watch the sunset and you've got to swim through the night. I encourage people, get in the open water next time you go swimming. Close your eyes and swim 40 strokes and see how you feel and how disorientated you are. Now, he does have a support crew. He had Peter... Berlin and Blair Tuke involved because he was um, trying to raise awareness of the Live Oceans Foundation that those two have set up in terms of protecting our oceans and protecting the Hauraki Gulf. What have been some of the great sporting endeavours in the last hundred years? They're always those milestones. I mean, Hillary conquering Everest, human endeavour, along with Tenzing. The first person to ever swim, you know, English Channel, Cook Strait, always great achievements. I think it was, was it Barry Davenport, I think in the 1960s here for New Zealand. Then you've got the sub-four-minute mile, Sir Roger Bannister. Didn't think it could be done, it was done. And then suddenly everybody goes under it. Just trying to think, what are the great 
achievements and what are some of the great athletic achievements that still haven't been done or still out there to be done. Now, the t- sub-two-hour marathon is one of them. Now, we had Kipchoge do it in part of this Nike Oregon project, but it was a bit manufactured. He ran behind vehicles. He didn't have to go to the aid stations and grab his own drinks. Had pacemakers the whole way, and he was in carbon-plated shoes. Will we ever see somebody break two hours for the marathon at one of the great marathons, whether it be Berlin, Rotterdam, New York, Boston, probably not quite the course to do it on. And then the question we have to ask ourselves: are they doing it legitimately? Are they doing it clean? And if you look at a lot of the African runners in more recent times, I think you're allowed to be entirely suspicious. But you might have a thought on this one. Double eight double three. You can text us here on oh eight hundred one five oh eight double one. Let's bring Ben Francis into the program. Uh, ben, you sat back there and you listened to uh, Philip Rush talk about that achievement. Philip Rush, a hell of a swimmer in his own right. Uh, I remember interviewing Philip, one of the great open water swimmers, uh, in the uh, about when the sport was really big in the eighties and there was big prize money. And he tells a great story of doing a race. The Egyptians were very good at distance swimming and doing a race down the Nile. And he said it was not the cleanest water that he's ever swum. And at one point he put his hand straight through the gut of a dead, decaying donkey during the swim. Gross. Mm. Absolutely gross. But like, look, I, w- I was actually, I was, I was on the North Shore today and I saw the some of the the waves coming out at some of the beaches and I was thinking, oh, Jono is going to be struggling. Like I was, I was feeling a bit sorry. And this was around the time where he was, uh, he was just going around Terry Island uh, which is directly, it's a long way out, isn't it? Though it's a, it's a long way out, but just seeing how rough it was, just close to the shore on um, around Campbell's Bay and Narrow Neck Beach and all those places, it was it was remarkable. So honestly, I <laughs> I don't think I could even train to do it. Like just the thought of doing something like that. I just think I could. I, I know I could never do it. And well, I, I get in the pool every day. I get in the pool three times a week, right? And I try and swing three kilometres, which is 120 lengths of the pool. And I find that a little. I, I don't find it physically that hard, but I do find it just mentally because you're looking at a black line. It can be a bit boring, and you think oh, I've got to break this up a little bit. So I do a little bit of backstroke. I do some kick. I do some freestyle. Pull boy on some paddles. Some little tools that you can use for swimming to try and sort of, you know, break it down. And then you get out and you do an hour and you think, oh, yeah, that wasn't too bad. I could probably go to 5K if I had to. And then you sort of go, yeah, but can you imagine doing what you've just done another 32 times? <laughs> and then what you can actually achieve in those 32 and 33 hours and what we actually do achieve in 33 hours and and what you actually get done in a day and the fact that you then go to bed and you wake up. But the loneliness of it, the fact that there is just no visual stimulation at all, really. I mean, occasionally you're breathing out to one side, you might get some land in the distance, you've got a support boat, but you actually have to find a way to almost just get into a trance. Oh, totally. And, uh, you know, you have, it's a, like it's like having a head of steel to, to do something like that. Just like, like I say, the thought of just doing it is insane and you just have to take your hat off to him you know he's, he's, he's one of these guys where you, he should not have to pay for like a beer again in his life like that is what I would probably I'd put him in like that sort of elite 
Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty hard thing. What have you done? Well, I've actually done this, and you go, yeah, okay, that's something that seriously, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the world cannot do that, could not do that, wouldn't oh, even totally. be able to do the training to do that. I mean, we are talking about a handful of people in the world who have the physical and mental capability of doing what he has just done. And he's just your everyday guy. He didn't come from a swimming background. We interviewed him prior to the swim, and he talked about, you know, he did his first ocean swim, I think, back in 2011, 2012, which was 2K across the harbour in a wetsuit. And he's taken that, and he's gone, right, I just want to naturally evolve, you know, double crossing of the Cook Strait. I mean, we had his dad on the phone, and he recently had swum from, where did they say he swam? I think he'd swum from... Matapuri up north, was it to the Poor Nights or yeah, and back? Now that is a that's some deep water, man. There's some sea life out there, man. Yeah, there is. Definitely. Imagine that though. I mean, you know, I've gone out at times, and you you try not to think about what's potentially under you or around you. And I'm in water where the chances of that are happening are remote off Takapuna Beach. I mean, he is in some serious water out there. He is in some major deep dark ocean where there is a lot of sea life. There are a lot of Marco sharks. There are a lot of white pointers. I hope he gets some media coverage. You know, I hope people do jump up and down on this tomorrow. I'd be really disappointed if I pick up the paper and it's some bloody rugby story that's irrelevant. You know, oh, who's Ian Foster going to pick in the number nine jersey? You know, we want to encourage New Zealanders and, you know, it's very much who we are, that she'll be right attitude. And at times I feel like it's dying in this country. And then you get a guy like Jono just to come along and it sort of reminds you that it still exists in Kiwis, that, you know, nothing is impossible. Yeah, I'm just having a look at some of the other sports news that's around and Sonny Bill Williams having a go at a neighbour seems to be top of the sports news oh, on one yeah. paper's agenda at the moment. That's about right, though. But it's complete hypocrisy, isn't they? The media, you know, particularly during the Women's World Cup, finally saying, oh, look, we've finally got equity. These other sports are getting coverage. Women's sports are getting coverage. Well, I hope those same papers then use the definition of equity and go, hey, maybe we should cover a guy who's just from 100 kilometres. Yeah, you and or I Or should I we jump and dumb about... Ruby Tui and how she's going on a sabbatical to the United States and has pretty much held a gun to New Zealand rugby's head and said, well, unless you pay me a lot of money, I'm gone, and yet hasn't even committed, and we don't even know what rugby she's actually going to be playing in the next few years. Well, that you know, you and I, what I both know, that's not going to change. Yeah, I know, and then they wonder why people are switching off in their droves, mate, and mainstream media is sort of almost a dying art. Uh, anyway, 0800 150811, what are the great feats of human achievement. I'd love someone to just get on the phone and kick this off. Be part of it. Talk to me. What are some of the things you would like to do? I'll, I'll be honest, I had a chat to Philip Rush today and in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to do the Cook Strait. Uh, I think there's only been 160, 170 New Zealanders ever do it. It's 26 kilometres. Um, yeah, and I don't think I'm too far away from committing to it, but it is. But it's not actually the day that's hard. It's the training for the damn thing that's hard. It's such a selfish, bloody sport. And it's easy, it's not easy, but a guy like Jono, when you've got, okay, this is what I'm doing, I'm in my 30s, I can do this. But when suddenly you've got a wife and kids and stuff, it does get a little bit harder. Um, is it a pipe dream for me? Maybe. Uh, is it something that I think I could do? Absolutely. But you've got to commit, and committing a big thing. So so what are those, some of those things that you dream of doing that you'd like to do? 0800 150 811 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. 16 minutes after nine, celebrating the achievements of John O'Riddler having swum 100 kilometres starting at 10 o'clock yesterday. So having gone solo, unbelievable swim, following in the footsteps of the likes of Mad Max Telford. You remember him in the 1970s running 100 miles, I think, through Death Valley. 
Um, we've had some wonderful endurance athletes over the years. In more recent times, athletes like Lisa Tamadi, um, doing great things in endurance sport. But anything bigger and tougher than swimming 100 kilometres, I'm not sure. I mean, you can walk in a run, can't you, to a degree, uh, and get there. You've got sort of visual stimulation to keep you going. You can sort of sit down and rest to a degree. You can't in an open water swim. Love to get your thoughts. 0800 150 is the number. Hi, Willie. Good evening, Watto. What an achievement by a man. 100 k's, you know. I've done that trip across there in a boat with my mates, and the waves out there are huge. Oh, it's not a short you know, tri- It's not a short trip either. <laughs> it's, it's not a short trip, and I can understand probably his pain because I used to <coughs> watch my daughter training, and you feel the pain for her when she trains in swimming. It's just, and the tears, also the tears in her faces when she gets up and tries to achieve something. It's just not an easy feat. And I, I take my hat off to the guy, and like you say, it should be on the news tomorrow, and it should be on the front pages of the of the papers. This is just something that people don't do. No, they don't do. They don't do. I mean, you know, I think swimming the double of Taupo some ways is a little bit easier, but it's just such a open stretch of water I mean there are some big big sharks out there do not kid ourselves Willie I know when Rick Wells Ian Jones and guys a couple of years ago did it as a five person relay and they had a launch and they'd dive in and off and do 5k at a time and then sort of sit down for four hours and get back and you know they I've got I've got footage of them of Marco sharks sort of trailing the boat you imagine out there on your own and yes you do got a support craft but um Oh. But at night time, when yeah. you're swimming at night like that, you must wonder what's going through his mind, you know, and how he can concentrate on, on that goal, you know. And, and like already he's got a support crew. Like, like you say, there's some big sharks out there. But um, I can... Willie, well, uh, imagine sitting in an isolated cell for 33 hours on your own, in a dark cell for 33 hours on your own, in a cool room, and not being able to sleep, and where do you, where do you, and no stimulation at all, and you've just got to, you've got to deal with your own company for thirty-three hours. Yeah, not not good. The, the achievement is fantastic, and and like you say, you know, if if like you say the rugby's on the on the front page tomorrow, I'll be angry too because uh, you came into the lane which I've uh, I've linked. I'm, I'm associated with my. My daughter was swimming, and I can I know the pain she goes through when she did it. And uh, this guy must have been going through not only pain, but wondering when, when, how he can relax, how he's the moisture, how he can uh, uh, the dehydration, the, the thoughts that must have been going through this man's mind. And full, full, full I, I take my hat. A hundred k's is a long way oh, in the world. Oh, look, I remember the first time I rode a hundred kilometres on a bike, and how stoked I was. Um, you know, and, and you're riding a bike at 30 something kilometres an hour, and you've got a whole lot of visual stimulation, you've got wind, and you've got other people to support you. I, I, look, I have done some crazy and dumb things in my life. I've been around some outstanding athletes, some hard, hard bastards, full stop. But this is just next level. I, I mean, Philip Rush, who we had on, who's, you know, holds the record for the triple crossing of the English Channel, he talked about the salt water and how that just forces the throat to swell up and the mouth, you know, the ulcers and the chafing, and here, here this guy is having to eat all the time, but he's got an upset stomach, so he's probably, you know, he's probably got diarrhoea out there, and that in itself adds to even more chafing and some pretty tender parts of the body. You said you want to have a crack at, at Cook Street, yep. is that correct? Correct, yeah, absolutely. 
Geez, I hope you contact me. You got my number there because I'd like someone to go alongside you with it. Oh no, you do it. Yeah. So, so you do do it properly. So you go through Philip Rush. It's about seven and a half, eight thousand dollars to do. You do get a window, um, but you are unassisted as well. But yeah, I'd love. To, uh, look, it's something that's been in the back of my mind. I come from that sort of background, and I, I don't like. I don't like racing anymore. I don't like hurting. But what I do like is that me on me. You know, just that challenge of yourself. And I think that's what appeals to me about those events. And I thought, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and I've been going through it on my head while I've been swimming, thinking, man, eight hours, okay, yep, probably need to at least get up to six hours on the pool. And then I think about what this guy Jono's done, and I'm just sitting there going, mate, it just pales in comparison. It's like, you know, you're doing the cook straight four times, and you're not stopping. Yeah, well, I take my hat off to Jono, and I hope that he's on the front page of the papers tomorrow. Yeah, hey, lovely to have you on the program, Willie. Really nice call. Thank you. 22 minutes after 9, 0800 150811. Hi, Graham. Oh, hi, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, no, just, uh, yeah, just before I get on to the incredible achievements of Jono, you know, what he's done, um, yeah, just, you know, he's talking about Roger Bannister and that. The only thing I could say that I've um, watched you know, was, uh, or seen was when Richard Headley got his 400th test wicket in 1990 against India here at Lancaster Park. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm only mentioning that because that's, I mean, I'm not comparing it in any way to this, uh, the individual efforts of what John O's done today, but you're just talking about, you know, to think in, you know, probably in 1970, say, no one would have thought of New Zealand or whatever, mate, mm. you know, mm. 200 wickets, mm. 400, you know, and he did it. Yeah, so, and, yeah. And, and they are milestones, and he's the first player to do it at the time. Um, it was Alan Border, wasn't it? No, Alan Border was his 300th, wasn't it? Or that was, was it his 386, yeah, yeah that's at, right. at Basin. That's yeah, right. but, he, but he got the, but, an but, Indian batsman here. But yeah. the thing with that is you don't have that mental fatigue and it's done over your oh, career. No, it's no, done no, over your career. No, oh, no, it's still, a, it's still a great achievement. But, yeah, the physicality of... Um, oh, no, but with, you know, with the swimming um, thing, you know, I brother-in-law is a swimmer, and I know people who have kids that, you know, really good swimmers here in Christchurch, you know, and... But but what this guy's done is a different level, and you know the fear factor, the diarrhea, the chafing, the extreme agony, oh, this and the, you know the shark, you know the shark factor, you know you're talking about what Ian Jones and um, the other chap had done. Rick Wells, you know, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, Rick Wells, yeah, well, he's a legend, um, triathlete, you know, um, but you know, but you know, you got that whole thing, you know, Mark, these are big sharks, you know, you read, I've read stuff, you know, about. You know, ships during the Second World War, you know, and, and the survivors that, you know, getting picked off by the sharks, you know, and that's in, you know, subtropical countries, you know, with tiger sharks. But what this guy has put himself through um, is just, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. You know, his father spoke very well the last hour, too, by the way. Uh, it, well, it, it, it's, and it's way harder, but get in the swimming pool next time you go to the pool and go, I'm going to swim 4,000 lengths. Yeah. Well, that's, that's right. what that's what yeah. it's, that's what it's equivalent to in a pool, but yeah, I mean, but it, it's actually insane that it's actually far tougher out there uh, because yeah, pool, oh, yeah. pool yeah. is a controlled environment. Pool's fast. Um, pool's got a nice easy temperature. Uh, I mean, you've got so many environmental factors, oh. and you know you've got to fuel the body, and the body does. You know, it's amazing how in training, Graham, that you can drink and eat and cope with it okay, and then come race day, you know, for whatever reason, the metabolism changes. Maybe you race at a higher intensity, maybe it's nerves, maybe it's, well, I've shown my body how to eat and drink for 10 hours, but after 20 hours, um, I've overloaded it of too much 
of one thing and my body's no longer absorbing it and I feel sick and, you know, and yeah, it, it, it's, and, and, you know, these guys, these guys are, 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 are pioneers. They're, they're taking the guesswork out for future generations. I mean, seriously, there'd be few people on the planet who could do what this guy's just done. Oh, I know. No, that's exactly right. You know, um, <clears throat> the, you know, as I say, you know, the te- water temperature, I mean, I know the, you know, as you say with running, you know, I run every day and you've, you've done actual competitive triathlete and you know that triathlons and you know that fatigue and, you know, you always make the joke about, you know, uh, breathing through your nose or whatever it is. Breathing through your that. eyelids, yeah. Oh, eyelids, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, but, actually, you know, no, that, I, actually that, got the, I actually got that line from Graham Miller. Graham Miller won the Commonwealth Games gold medal at the Auckland Commonwealth Games in 1990. I yep. And yep. I asked Graham, I said, how hard are you going sometimes? You know, and he was taking on, you know, he was the best amateur rider in the world, man. He was eighth at the yeah, Olympics. He, and he, he He never rode professionally. And he goes, mate, at some points, Mark, I'm going so hard that I was breathing through my eyelids, basically meaning it was the only orifice I could get oxygen in because everything else was just, heart rate was so damn high. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, well, that, that's right. And then this guy, what he's done today, the achievement, you know, is above that. And Mark, I remember that guy, Mark Telford, was it? You, Ma- you Max Telford, yeah. Oh, Max Telford, yeah, but I remember him on TV in the 70s when he went through Death Valley, wherever they called it, Yeah, well, Death, Val- Death Valley is so hot that you could fry an egg on the road, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you're running in that, you know, so, you you know, after 10Ks, you'd be, um, you know, the average, per- well, the obviously well, level well, of fitness would have to be just, well, pre- and your ment- the mental application and toughness just has to be of the, you know, optimum 100%. I just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, well, see, Max, Max Telford, he held the world record for non-stop running to 211 kilometres, right? So yeah. 131 miles. I'd still say swimming 100k is way harder than that. I genuinely oh, say, having expe- no, having experienced both sports, running has a weight bearing component to it. So you know you are putting a huge force every time through the body. Uh, also, Telford, interesting that he um, raced from Auckland to Wellington. So he ran that in five days and 13 hours. So we've had a few nutters over the years, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I just remember him and just seeing this orange, you know, sort of. Skyline with all the the, can, the canyons, mm. you know, him running along. You know, I've still got that. Well, there, it was the, on TV. There was a know. saying: "There's only two things that run through Death Valley: Highway 66 and Max Telford." <laughs> yeah, no, that no, this guy. No, I'm sure he's going to get. And good on you for what you're doing, you know. And oh, look, know, oh, 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 Graham, because I come from that background, people go and buy. Yeah. So I'm not actually. I'm just educated, you know. And there's a difference. I, I look. I understand the rigors of all these other sports, but. You know, I've been very, very blessed to have been involved in this type of stuff, and I, you know, I, I'm a realist, and yeah, I, it, the loneliness. The, I mean, as I said, Graham, you started at ten o'clock yesterday morning, finished about seven ah. o'clock tonight. You think what you've done since ten ah. o'clock yesterday morning, what you've done right through till tonight, and that guy hasn't stopped taking a stroke or breathing every two strokes no, no, in no, salt no. water, in deep water, in cold water, um, eating absolute crap, and just somehow, somehow, somehow finding a way to speed time up or to switch off yep. so you don't notice time. And, you know, as you say, with running, as tough as it is, like I, Telford, Telford, sorry, um, you know, um, you can actually stop, even with the, if they don't, but, you know, with the cameras are off, but you can actually 
have a, a slight breather, even as excruciating as the pain and, and breathlessness is, but this guy's out in the middle of the ocean, you know, it's just, oh, it, there's nowhere to go. Well, this, well, I mean, you can have a conversation with someone in a race. You can yeah. have a car drive alongside you. How are you going, Maxie? Yeah. I'm good. Hey, look here. That was pretty cool back there. Hey, Max, just a little reminder, mate, you know. And then you've also got the visual side of it where you can see the next tree up the road and go, right, I just want to get to that next tree. Yeah, right, yeah, if exactly. I get up over the hill, you know, okay, I've got to come up this hill, but I know I've got a really nice little downhill stretch. Man, that open water stuff, you're no. thinking, God, I'm just about to get smashed in the face by waves. Oh. And I'll say this to people. Go out on a choppy day in the open water, lie dead flat in the water, take a few strokes, and you realise pretty quickly it doesn't take much for it to become a very, very rough swim. And water is a lot rougher when you're in it than what it actually looks like sometimes from the shoreline. Oh, absolutely. And then the wave height and velocity is, you know, it looks, it looks you see aerial photos of oceans, you know, and it's um, even just from the shore, it's, it's, yeah, the actual reality is a lot different to what visually from, you know, um, say 3Ks, you know, or however mm. far you can um, see out, to, you know, to the sea. Yeah, no, it's just totally different. And um, yeah, no, he, I'm sure he's going to, you know, I, you know, I hope he does. I'll, I'll be confident of that. But yeah, no, really interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. look, this stuff doesn't happen and you deserve it, you know. Most of the, in all fairness, Graham, most of the rugby stories out there these days are not really stories. It's just, you know, okay, who should it, such and such. They can wait for the next day. You know what I mean? They can wait for the next day. You know, okay, admittedly, if the All Blacks would all die in a plane crash, that would, you know, that would surpass it. But just give this guy, you know, the same media that jump up about equity and, all, you know, equality. Oh, yeah, well. Practice what you damn well preach <clears throat> and give this guy some coverage. It might not be women's rugby, but please give it some coverage. Yeah, and let's face it, a lot of the, you know, equity thing is, you know, it's to do with, the, it is political, and oh, people don't it's like absolute yeah, the word, it's but, but absolute, it is political. It's correct. absolute nonsense, Graham. absolute nonsense. Yeah. It's the old saying, go woke, go broke. Anyway, hey, Graham, lovely to yep. have you on the programme. Thank you, and Good all man. the very best for your Crusaders team this week, mate. Okay, it is 29 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Telephone number is 0800 150811. Couple of really good calls. Appreciate Graham phoning Willie. Two people out of Christchurch. Uh, John O'Ridriff, you've just joined us, a 30-year-old in his mid-30s uh, out of Auckland, has just swum 100 kilometres solo from Great Barrier to Auckland's North Shore. Dark, deep, ugly stretch of water. Big, big swim. 33 hours in the water. Uh, one of the great achievements in uh, human endurance. Just wanting to try and celebrate that performance, trying to put it in context for people. Um, if you just want to have your say or you're inspired or you're in awe or you're trying to get your head around the achievement, jump on the phone. Be part of it. Happy to talk any other sport as well. 0800 150 You're listening to SENZ. You are listening to SENZ. We might just change it up a little bit because it was a big, big, big day in English Premier League. Arsenal need to keep winning. They need to keep Manchester City at bay. Manchester City have two games in hand, but Arsenal... All they can do now is continue to win. They were coming up against Chelsea. Now, this would have been a mouthwatering clash 12 months ago where you probably would have said Chelsea go in as favourites, but they have lost They'd lost their last five consecutive games under interim coach and manager Frank Lampard. And could they dent the hopes of Arsenal? They couldn't. Arsenal ending up winning this by three goals to one. Let's hear from... Arsenal manager, Mikel Arteta. Really pleased with the first 60 minutes. Uh, I think the way we approached the game, how we started, determination, we showed energy. Um, it was Everything was fluid, there was a lot of movement. 
we play forward really with really aggressive scores on great goals and um, and really connected as well with our supporters and created the atmosphere that we wanted. Um, that's what I think we, we won the game. Um, after 60 minutes, I think we should have scored four or five. We didn't do that. And then obviously after considering the goal is still a long uh, period to play that we should have managed the game a little bit better. How much, how much did you need that tonight, just the, the manner of the taking that first 60 minutes? Yeah, I don't have a number, but uh, personally a lot, because uh, if we want to have any chance to win this league, we had to win today. And uh, and we've done it, and uh, it was something there. We want to be back on top after tonight, we are, and um, and our job was done today, and there's still four more to do. You don't usually play with two left footers or two right footers in central defence. Why did you think Jakob could come in and play that role and, and how did you think he did? Because he looks ready, he looks fresh, uh, he looks really determined, he's been better and better every single day, not only training but his interaction, his language uh, is more settled and, and because he's a player obviously that I really like, that's why we signed him and he's got the potential that he says to be, to be great and I think he had a big task against the players that he had to face today and I think he did really well. Anywhere Yeah, he was uncomfortable, he tried for 10-15 minutes, he could not carry on which is strange for Gabi, so a bit concerned about that because um, normally he's not one that wants to leave the pitch. Martin Adard got a little bit of criticism after the Manchester City game, not just for his performance, but people questioning his leadership ability. I mean, he answered that very well tonight with two goals to get things up and running. Do you think that was kind of unfair that he was singled out a little bit after the City? I don't know because I don't read uh, those comments, but uh, what I can say is that he's been exceptional for us when you look at his contribution. Uh, every single day in the team and then what he does for us out there every single time it's exceptional and uh, yeah the perfect play that plays perfect every game it doesn't exist but what Martin is done this season I think deserves a lot of credit it's 22 goal contributions 14 goals 8 assists for him I mean those are really impressive numbers this season did you always feel he had that in him to contribute you know that, that level that's what we had uh, to get out of him. He's got the talent, um, but he needs to occupy different spaces and become a threat um, and to have a mentality to win matches, not just to control games. And I think that's changed. And when you have someone that is as humble as him and has to have every single day pushing you to learn and improve and train, good things happen. And I think he gets reward for his work. Yeah. Mikhail, you, you said yesterday that the title race not over and it could still happen. Was tonight proof that your players still believe you think? For sure. And uh, and we discussed that and uh, it's four games to go. We are at the top right now and uh, and then we have to prepare for Newcastle and let's see what happens. The only thing now we can control is that uh, we win our matches and to do that perform as well as possible. And uh, I think tonight we've done that. It would have been very easy for them to drop their heads. We cannot do that. <laughs> To be in the position we are after 10 months against the team that we are fighting for, being there, having the possibility tonight to be top, is not going to allow anybody not to talk about it and not to feel it. And we have to enjoy it and we have to embrace it and, uh, and we have to maximise the opportunity that we have because we don't know what's going to happen. Miguel, it's been a very intense period mm -hmm. uh, for you and the team. I just wonder whether you've learned anything about them, about yourself, about mm. managing this squad during this period when you've seen them go through you know, tough times and have to dig themselves out like today? How great is to win a football match? <laughs> Having the feeling that I have right now is nothing like 
like that and going to a dressing room and feeling that energy there is nothing like it. everything that we go through positive and negative is worth when you have uh, moments like that but um, anything is just in the difficult moments being next to them you know they deserve everything from us because the way they try something was better than than other times but they they fully deserve our our full support yeah and that victory over chelsea breaks a four game stretch for arsenal without a win they had three draws and a loss coming into that game they now sit on 78 points having played 34 manchester city have played 32 games they've got two games in hand and the two points back on the table. Arsenal still have to play Newcastle United. Newcastle are one hell of a side. They're currently sitting in third. They've played 33 games on 65. Manchester United have played 32 games. They're on 63 points. My mob, Liverpool, have played 33. They're on 56. Liverpool take on Fulham tomorrow morning. Let's hear, though, from Chelsea interim manager, Frank Lampard. The first half performance not good enough uh, in every in every way. Um, we were nice to play against in every way. Nice off the ball, passive things we spoke about before the game. Defensively, we didn't do. We didn't restrict the space between lines. We didn't get the line up as much as we needed to. We didn't affect pressure on the ball. We didn't make contact with Arsenal players. Um, and then on the ball, same passing short, passing to ourselves, playing from position, not playing longer, not making forward runs. Things that we spoke about. So. Uh, if you play like that, then you, know, you get what you get. The second half was that was that part tactical? Was that part you know the player's spirit and then the determination? Yeah, it was maybe maybe some things I said at half time that that to be fair I'd said before the game. Um, tactical no, because I got asked before this game about playing a back five against Brentford or playing a back four, but five these things don't matter if you you don't get the basics right. So we got the basics a bit better, and we had more. You know, more of a dynamic nature about us. We could play into the front and hold and make runs and get up the pitch and created a couple of decent chances, score a goal from it. So um, those things are good for the players to see and feel. They're small gains at the minute, um, but that can't be from 45 minutes to the end, come to a place like this, possible. Frank, you just said the players didn't make contact or put pressure on the ball, which is clear to see really from where mm. you sat. But You've kind of defended the players a lot, and that seems like a basic. It seems quite acceptable, really. To not like it is a basic. It is a basic, and it's it's a lot of things. It's two, two things. I think it's a mental desire, in terms of to get up to people, but it also starts with capacity to be able to do it. And if you haven't been conditioning and doing that and doing that, and you don't do it on Wednesday, you don't do it on Thursday, you won't do it on Saturday or whatever day you want to talk about in the week. So those things, and when they become you as a group, they don't change overnight. And we, we're seeing that at the moment. Why is there a lack of aggression like, in, these, in, the, in those players that started the game? Why is there? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's not, I can't answer that one. No. Because I think you saw more aggression in the second half, and that has to be a, a basic. Matt Dunn. Yeah, I just want to follow on from that. Is there enough individual? I mean, these are good footballers. You know, they might not be playing well, they might not be confident. But those basics, is there enough individual pride in some of the players to go out and do those basics? I'm quite, I'm quite, I want to be quite clear about this. It's not a case. It's, I know the, the, the casual answer to the first half can be that the players didn't have pride or they didn't care enough, all these things. The players certainly do. I'm absolutely not questioning the players as lads. But from being good lads to transferring onto the pitch, you don't need to be an aggressive bloke for the week to be an aggressive player when you go on the pitch. 
that has to be something that you do. So as, as a collective group, we're not that. And there, there can be a lot of reasons. There can be some, maybe some excuses, but there can be reasons of, um, you know, and some are very valid, by the way. If players coming into the Premier League, into a team that's having a difficult moment, it's not easy. This is the hardest league in the world. So there are plenty of players that I can go, OK, no, they maybe need time. Maybe they need to come out of the team. Maybe they need to develop a bit. Maybe they need to understand. And it's coming into a team which is this season has been lacking results from the start of the season. So those things are not easy. So there are some things that you go, okay, fine, we need to get better at that. But there are some things that you go, no, no, lads, they are the basics and they have to be better. So some things, I spoke a lot about confidence after Brentford, I stand by that, the team is low on confidence, but it's also underperforming in basics. So now it's a question of five games to, to compete with each other, like Nonny did tonight in his performance from two weeks of good training, to show that you deserve to be in the team. And those should be the rules anyway. Now more than ever, if people want to say there's nothing on these games, then they're wrong because every individual has a lot on these games. It is 10 minutes away from 10 o'clock. I see um, Police 10-7 has come to an end. This is because, you know, the fun police or the politically correct or the woke got involved and said, hang on a minute, there's not enough equity in terms of the type of people being shown um, and that they felt that it was unfair on certain sectors of society. It clearly rated and it rated very, very well. But like anything, you know, you can't tell the truth anymore. You can't show what's actually happening out there. They decided that they needed to dumb it down. And it went from a ratings winner, a little bit like the Wellington Sevens, to an absolute flop. And once again, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of expression is under serious threat in this country. It was good. At times, as they've said in articles, it was hilarious. If you don't like it, don't watch it, but stop telling other people what they can watch and what they can't watch and stop having the left dictate to people in terms of the way television shows are shot and the way they are edited. It is television, man. And if you think that it's exploit, exploiting certain people or people of disadvantage, then you're delusional. If you don't want to appear on Police 10-7, don't commit crimes. Don't do dumb stuff. That simple. You are on Police 10-7 because you are a dumbass, you're a criminal or you're a crook or you've done something bloody stupid or you've broken the damn law. But I know, you guys have been unfair. And you're racially profiling certain groups more than others. And there might, hey, there might be some justification in that. So maybe get a, a broader spectrum of criminals across different races or whatever you want, but if your host wants to call people losers and your host wants to call these, you know, which they did, uh, what was his name? Bell. Uh, he was brilliant. But I oh, know, we'll shut it down, eh? Because it's no longer the criminal's fault. They're a victim of oppression. And everybody that's successful, they're a victim of privilege. I mean, this is the mentality that we have to deal with in this damn country at the moment. It's infuriating. 
you know, it, it's just this cancel culture, isn't it? It is appalling in this country. You can say it's offensive. Well, you can't say it's offensive. You can say, I'm offended, because other people might not find it offensive. Anyway, just another good show, like the Wellington Sevens. Can't have that. Can't have that. Someone's picked it apart. Some academic and said, hang on a minute. It's a certain section of the population that are appearing more on this show than other parts of the population, therefore... You subconsciously got a bias. Let's get rid of it. Anyway, just thought I'd share that. This is SENZ when entertainment is a part of it and television's entertainment, isn't it, Ben? It certainly is. I uh, agree. Yeah. It rates. Clearly people want to watch it. Isn't that what television's about? I'm personally a fan of uh, Motorway Patrol. Yep. Quite enjoy that. Yeah. Of course it's edited. It's, it, it's, it's no, you know, people say... Th- this is the thing that annoys me. They say that Police 107 might be offensive or might offend people or or might um, play on people who are disadvantaged. But seriously, is it any more immature or any more irresponsible than married at first sight? Well, I think I think probably some of it goes back to the a point I think you raised it yesterday or on Monday where you you mentioned a show like Married with Children. Mm. Like, that show back then was socially acceptable. I think that's a fair statement. But you probably could not get away with producing a show like that in today's society. But but who says that? I argue that's not true. A small group of people will tell us we can't do a show like that in today's society, and we keep listening to the small group of society. I agree. Just put it on, say, hey, this comes with a warning. This is sexist, it's chauvinist, but it's all humour, and it's thing. Let people decide then whether they want to watch it or not. Yeah, I agree. And if you want to have a women's show that takes the mickey out of men, so be it. But stop telling us what we can do and what we can't do. Because who determines what's offensive? It's like the person who says, I want religion in schools. And you go, which religion? There's 3,000 of them. Well, my religion, of course. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, I get it. Anyway, just needed to have that little rant at the end. I'm getting frustrated at times. Three deep breaths, Mark. Tide coming in. Tide going out. That's it. Just relax. Three deep breaths, Mark. Okay, that's it. Lie on the couch. Lie on the couch, mate. You're okay. We'll bring you our rugby shows between 10 and 11 coming up next. Gordon Simpson talking the Hurricanes. And we will have the Blues show between 10.30 and 11.